You have meddled with the primal forces of nature, Mr. Beale, and I won't have it. Is that clear? Do you think you merely stopped a business deal? That is not the case. The Arabs have taken billions of dollars out of this country, and now they must put it back. It is ebb and flow, tidal gravity. It is ecological balance. You are an old man who thinks in terms of nations and peoples. There are no nations. There are no peoples. There are no Russians. There are no Arabs. There are no third worlds. There is no West. There is only one holistic system of systems. One vast and imane, interwoven, interacting, multivariate, multinational dominion of dollars. Petrodollars, electrodollars, multidollars, Reichmarks, rims, rubles, pounds, and shekels. It is the international system of currency which determines the totality of life on this planet. That is the natural order of things today. That is the atomic and subatomic and galactic structure of things today. And you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Am I getting through to you, Mr. Beale? Chris Kelsey here with the Lady One. That's right, folks. Matt is away again on sabbatical. I believe he's sunning on the French Riviera. So uh, the Ooh. Lady One was kind enough to join us again. So thank you so much for coming back. We really appreciate it. Yeah, happy to. In this episode of the first to run, uh, the Lady One and I are going to discuss the movie musical that is not sweeping the nation. In the Heights. I'm sure we'll have a little bit to talk about that. And then we'll spend some time with Joe Wright's latest film that was shuffled off the Netflix, The Woman in the Window, with uh, Amy Adams, who clearly is maybe up for another Oscar nomination, or very maybe very much now. <laughs> we'll tell you what's coming up in physical media this upcoming Tuesday, featuring your streaming and straight-to-DVD picks of the week. And then uh, Ms. Juan and I will share five films we think that would be just vastly improved if they were musicals. So let's start everything off, though, with a clip from In the Heights. There's something on your shirt. Just this. Uh, my cousin over there with his tongue hanging out has been meaning to ask yeah? What a lady like yourself would be doing this weekend. Does your cousin dance? Like a drunk Cheetah Rivera. Stop. Mm. 
Tell your cousin, Fiesta in the Heights. We can hit a few clubs. Check out the fireworks. Keep it. Thanks. Have a good day. Later on, I laughed out loud during that scene. I found it <laughs> quite amusing. A lot of fun. And obviously that audio clip probably doesn't really do it justice. So I'm going to give you Matt's duties. It would be your responsibility to uh, introduce and give us a brief summary of what In the Heights is all about. In the Heights is based on the Lin-Manuel Miranda musical that was out, gosh, I think it premiered in like 2007 maybe? was before Hamilton, back when he was not that famous. And it's the story of a block. It's about a neighborhood, Washington Heights, and the various characters who live there and their dreams. Very nice. So this thing is getting rave reviews from the critics, right? Yes. But there's also a faction of people, at least on film Twitter, that we've seen, mm -hmm. right, who are, I don't... Do you even describe it really as it feels like just desperate to knock this film down yeah. a little bit, right? And saying that the viewership, that it's a flop, basically. Mm -hmm. So explain to me, why is that not the case? What are your thoughts on In the Heights? I think people are treating it like there should be these massive expectations for it. And most people are not familiar with In the Heights. From Broadway. I think if you got really obsessed with Hamilton and then you wanted to see what else Lin-Manuel Miranda had done, you knew about In the Heights. But I don't think that it has this reputation like Hamilton does. I don't think it's known as, you know, this great show that won a bunch of Tony Awards. I don't think it has that sort of reputation. So the fact that this has, I think it opened, what was opening weekend? Was it $11 million? That's it's, I know that's not great, but folks, COVID's not over. So I don't I don't know what people were truly expecting of it. And I hate the narrative of an underperforming box office because it is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm -hmm. As soon as people hear that, they go, oh, well, I'm not going to go see it then. And, and it's unfair because who decided this movie we should make $50 million its opening weekend? Who said that? Well, the studio, from what I understand, we're expecting around 20 which clearly it didn't hit. And then also with mm -hmm. HBO Max viewership numbers were low compared to a lot yeah. of the other offerings that hit that day and day that the theatrical and that HBO Max release. But I think part of it is it's an adaptation of an established property, yes. But I'm not going to say a gigantically established property, just like you no. said with Hamilton. I, I, I didn't realize that this was pre-Hamilton. I had no idea. And put it up against stuff like in, in what uh, a quiet place too, yeah. right? And all the stuff that's come out that's done reasonably well. The Conjuring, the third Conjuring film, right? Mm -hmm. Those have built-in audiences with relatively large stars attached, or at least stars and right. characters that we're previously familiar with. Mm -hmm. This one has a relatively lesser-known cast. Yeah, the biggest name being what? Maybe Jimmy Smith's. Yeah, honestly. And and it's a musical, which right. doesn't always, you know, bring a lot of people out to the theater. The Greatest Showman didn't exactly blow people away. That actually had to mm -hmm. run for a long time before it started to really do well and catch on. Yeah. And I just think, and also, 
Honestly, I sit and wonder how much of the fact that this focuses on a Latinx culture that it doesn't appeal to a relatively white audience, which I which would disappoint me. But I yeah. wonder if they're the general movie-going public who, at least the white movie-going public, may feel that this isn't something for them, which I think they're cheating themselves if they kind of think that way. Yeah. I mean, I hope that's not the case. But I do have to say, I saw this both in the theater and on HBO Max the first weekend. And I had to mm-hmm. go look for it on HBO Max. It was not first. It was not the first thing I saw on the screen when I went to movies. It was not the first thing that popped up. Really? The first thing that popped up for me was Harry Potter, which I've never seen a Harry Potter movie. So that's not based on any sort of algorithm. That was the first thing that came up on Featured. When I went to New, the first thing in the list was Fast 7. The second thing in the list was In the Heights. Huh. So... they must have rectified that because I, I think I pulled it up I think yesterday or something and it was yeah. up there for me when I opened it. This was Saturday. I had to go look for it. So, I mean, it's, it's disappointing because I feel like when this first started with HBO Max, like the login screen, as soon as you got through, was like Wonder Woman 1984. Yep. Judas Conjuring. and the Black Messiah. Right here. Mm-hmm. Like all of them were right there. And I had to go looking for In the Heights to the point where I was like, oh, maybe it's out in theaters now and it'll be on streaming next week. Like, I genuinely wasn't sure that it was there. I had to go look for it. So let me, well, clearly, I think that's a failure on HBO Max's yeah. part that, I, that I, I feel it looks like I think they've clearly rectified because I believe when I opened it up, it was the first thing that came up this week. Yeah. But let me ask you then, you saw in both experiences, yes. which is the better viewing experience? I know clearly which I think the one, the answer should be, but I'm curious <laughs> what you're going to say. The theater by far. I was, I saw it with my best friend who loves musicals and we were kicking our feet at like some of the jokes. We were dancing in our seats. Neither one of us knew any of the songs because we didn't want to be spoiled of anything that might happen. Mm -hmm. So we went in completely cold and we loved it. Like we just had the best time. You could feel the energy in the theater and it wasn't a packed theater by any means. It was like sparsely attended. This was a Saturday afternoon. So heat of the day, which was actually perfect to walk into this movie from the Florida heat being like, oh, I feel gross. And then, okay, this is the atmosphere. Okay, it's a hot, sweaty summer. All right. Um, but yeah, everybody was was into it. I could hear people crying. I could mm. hear people gasp when Mark Anthony came up on the screen. Right. Unclear if it was because of the cameo or how scary thin he is. I don't know what the gasp was. I didn't ask. But yeah, like it was it was a shared experience and it was so much more engaging in the theater than it was at home. Yeah, I think that this is a film that demands to be seen in the theater. Uh, mm-hmm. Dolby, probably, if you have the opportunity, yep. mm-hmm. would be the way to go, or an IMAX. It is a bright, big, vibrant film. It Beautiful. looks gorgeous. Yeah. And they really take advantage of its location shooting. It's really beautiful mm-hmm. to see the way mm-hmm. they they uh, utilize, actually, Washington Heights in the film. And I want to say, too, it's exceptionally well choreographed and blocked. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. but the dance routines are fantastic, particularly the pool scene was 
fantastic and it was reminiscent of those old classic films from like Mm -hmm. what the 20s and 30s but uh yeah it's really it's a beautiful film and it's a joyous celebration basically from start to finish even in its darker moments it is still a celebration of life Mm -hmm. and i feel like it is the perfect film for this time that i feel sad though that maybe not everybody's going to be exposed to it yeah yeah, I'm really, I mean, from the get-go this year, I was frustrated that this movie was going to share a calendar year with Spielberg's West Side Story. Mm. I was like, this is very annoying when it comes to award season. And now I'm worried because it underperformed as far as the narrative goes, that it won't even kind of come back into the public consciousness during award season, yeah. which is the only value I personally feel award season has is bringing to light movies that otherwise wouldn't have reached a mass audience. I don't think I would have seen Parasite without it being nominated for the Oscar. I I don't think I would have found my way to it. So that is what I believe the only value of the Academy Awards and the Golden Globes, which we won't have, is, uh, is, has to offer. So I'm frustrated that this coming out in June probably means we might not see that those nominations for it and people might not go find it. That's too bad. I know. Especially too. There's so many ways to see it. Now, granted, we said you should see it in the theater, but it is on HBO Max, and I'm sure it'll hit your renting platforms within the next month. Mm -hmm. But it's great, right? I mean, I think maybe it's a bit messy at times. It tries to tackle a lot of different things. There's a lot of stories, yeah. Right. We have. I mean, there's there's dealing with the uh, uh, the culture, the the idea of family, uh, gentrification, DACA. I mean, really, there is a lot of stuff that gets tackled <laughs> in this film. I saw some stuff on film Twitter, too. Some people have said, like, well, there's no real villain. Well, not really. I mean, it's it's, yeah. it's just so much going on. It's almost not yeah. that important. We don't need to have the bad guy in the black suit twirling his mustache as he's trying to take yeah. over the neighborhood, right? And yeah. Either way, I think it's it's really fun. It's I think I think that um, that Chu here does some fantastic work. Mm. I enjoyed the um, Crazy Rich Asians film that he did. Yeah, so good. But I think this is better. I think this is a yes. step up for him. Oh my gosh, yes, <laughs> I I get it. And I mean, he really does bring the Washington Heights to life in this film. Yeah. And I also want to single out Anthony Ramos. Right, oh. so he is the star, I guess. He plays Usnavi, yes. uh, and he is just a delight in this thing, which is funny mm-hmm. because my seen him in some other stuff, one of them being like him being the one of the few bright spots in the otherwise dreadful uh, Honest Thief, one of those Liam Neeson films from a couple mm-hmm. years ago. Though he is, from what I understand, in the next Transformers sequel, so okay. <laughs> and uh, you know, he actually was in the film that started it all. This transition, the from theatrical to uh, theaters and streaming with Troll World Tour. He actually voices one of the oh, characters. Oh, so. I did not know that. Yeah. Either Aww. way, I think In the Heights should launch the careers of quite a few people and perhaps revitalize others. And it's really it's a wonderful, as I said, joyous experience, and you should definitely check it out. Even if you don't like musicals, I know some people don't. Matt historically cannot stand musicals i'm tepid on them though i've definitely warned them over the year (laughs) that's part of it exactly but uh yeah 
I rather enjoyed it. Lady One, is there anything else you'd wanted to add about that? Um, I think joyful and joyous are the words for this movie. I my face hurt by the time it was over because I had mm. just been smiling for like two hours. It just made me so happy. There you go, folks. You can't really get a better endorsement than that. <laughs> um, it's a film that wears its heart in its sleeve and invites you to uh, join them on their journey. So in, a, in the Heights one, I'm going to give a B plus. Where are you? I'm giving it an A. Nice. I loved it so much. Good for you. <laughs> if you've had a chance to see In the Heights, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirsttorun.com. And remember, make sure your aunt takes her meds. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and hear a clip from one of the films being released this upcoming Tuesday, June 22nd. Now, on the one hand, there's a long dormant piece of me now awake that wants so very badly to play this out. The other, more reasonable piece of me, what's left of it. We'd like to end our little tete-a-tete right now. What's done is done. After all, we can both rebuild, right? Right. Mm, wait. Rebuild? I burned it. All of it. What? All? Everything you have. Had. Everything you had. My heart. Shock! You should have seen it go up. <laughs> it was something. I mean, this doesn't make us even. Because after all, you came to my house. And you do not do that. Lady One, did you see the Bob Odenkirk action thriller Nobody? I haven't. Well, here's I a big chance. I feel very bad about it. Yeah, you can pick it up on Blu-ray and 4K this upcoming Tuesday, June 22nd. Includes some featurettes on the making of the film, some deleted scenes, and audio commentary featuring Odenkirk, which I think may be worth picking up just to hear that and more. <laughs> it's enjoyable. It's 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 good. It's not John Wick good, but um, <laughs> I still had a lot of fun watching it. Yeah. Sam Raimi and Rob Tappert of Evil Dead fame produced The Unholy. A struggling journalist stumbles upon a series of strange events in a small New England town and uses them to salvage his career. Nida Sicario, I don't believe related to the Sicario films. I think more just cashing in on that name. Taylor is forced to hide the young daughter of a Colombian woman in witness protection who will be testifying against a powerful drug cartel in federal court as a ruthless Sicario aims to hunt them down. The DC animated universe continues with Batman The Long Halloween Part 1. Includes a steelbook if you get it from Best Buy. And some behind-the-scenes features, mostly, though, some new animated shorts and some archival cartoons from previous releases. Hunter Hunter, a fur trapper, leaves his wife and daughter behind to kill a rogue wolf in the remote wilderness. But they soon become increasingly worried when a severely injured man shows up to disrupt their peaceful existence. Wilgo USA is releasing The Paper Tigers. Three kung fu prodigies have grown into washed-up middle-aged men. Now one kick away from pulling their hamstrings. But when their master is murdered... They just juggle their dead-end jobs, dead duties, and old grudges to avenge his death. Include some behind-the-scenes material and some deleted scenes and bloopers. New to Blu-ray, Criterion is releasing the signifying works of Marlon Riggs. Ethic Notions, Tongues United, Affirmations, Anthem, Color Adjustment, None, Jeanne Rigatarono, I'm assuming, uh, mm -hmm. also known as No Regret, Black Is, Black Ain't. 
All films are included in this box set from Criterion of the films of Marlon Riggs, an unapologetic gay black man who defied a culture of silence and shame to speak his truth with resounding joy and conviction. New high-definition digital masters of all seven films. Four new programs included. Um, his graduate thesis film is in this box set as well, and a documentary. So I gotta admit, I am unfamiliar, and I'm hoping plainly that this, some of this hits the Criterion channel, because I will definitely check it out. Yeah. Arrow's releasing Years of Lead, five classic Italian crime thrillers. Ooh. This box set gathers five films from the heyday of the Polizateci, because uh, I'm Italian. <laughs> the umbrella term used to describe this diverse body of films, Invitorio Salarno's Savage 3, Mario Imperioli's Rabid Dogs, Massimo De Milano's Colt 38 Special Squad, Stelvio Massi's High Ray Racer, and then finally Salerno's No, The Case is Happily Resolved, are all included in this set, which get brand new 2K transfers. Original mono lossless audio. I'll get there. <laughs> Listen, folks, I've paused about seven times. We're just going to barrel through at this point, all right? <laughs> interviews with introductions by the composer for the films, interviews with editors, historians, directors, and more. This thing is chock full of things. Previously, I'd mentioned the Eurocrypt of Christopher Lee from Severin was getting released. I guess it must get pushed back because now it's here again. Ooh. Includes a bunch of lost Christopher, not really lost, but lesser known Christopher Lee films, as well as all 24 surviving episodes of the TV show Theater Macabre that he hosted. The films included are Crypt of the Vampire, Castle of the Living Dead, Sherlock Holmes, The Deadly Necklace, The Torture Chamber of Dr. Sadism. That's Ooh. really up in your face there, huh? Challenge <laughs> the Devil. And then it includes the soundtrack for The Castle of the Living Dead in an 88-page booklet. Seven is releasing Strike Commando. Two years before the deranged genius of Robo War and Shocking Dark, writer-director Bruno Mattei and co-writers Claudio Fragasso and Rosella Drudy borrowed from Rambo, First Blood Part Two, and Missing in Action, and more to create their own mind-blowing non-sploitation masterpiece. Brand new 2K restoration of that film, which includes the theatrical and extended cuts. Interview with the co-director and more. And uh, that's going to be it on my end because I clearly dropped the ball and did not get a straight to DVD pick of the week. So I will do that quickly while Bloody Wan shares <laughs> her streaming pick of the week. Yeah. So my streaming pick for the week is uh, Netflix, Bo Burnham Inside. We're heading out of quarantine, but let's watch a guy be super depressed in the midst of it from last year. Great weird little songs. The internet in particular is a, a fantastic feature that he does on there. So highly recommend checking that one out and then going outside afterwards. I've heard a lot of things about it. So you've watched it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, how is it? Well, clearly you're <laughs> recommending it. So you you rather yeah. enjoyed it, right? Yeah. I, I think his songs are really funny. I enjoy the little bits that he does. And the fact that he shot this all himself in his house during quarantine is really cool to watch. The way it's produced is visually very interesting. It's not your usual comedy special. And uh, the songs are catchy and fun. So I enjoyed it. Part of me just doesn't want to watch it because it's pandemic focused. Should I, you know, like I never want yeah. to see or just watch anything related <laughs> to it. Remember there's like, well, man, there's not a lot of writing about, 
you know, the, 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 the flu pandemic that wiped everybody out, you know, about a hundred years yeah. ago. Why isn't there anything, any <laughs> cultural artifacts of it? No books, no stories. Cause nobody wanted to talk about it. They just wanted yeah. to move on. And I totally get that now, but no, I will, huh? I will say the content of the special is not really about the pandemic. Okay. So, you know, he sings a song about turning 30. He sings a song about the internet. Can I interest you in everything all of the time is his song about the internet. So it's all filmed in his house. And there's obviously frustration at the fact that he's in there and his hair is just growing and he's just trapped in this room. But it's not like he's singing songs about being locked indoors or singing songs about how we all have to wear masks now. It's really like sort of internet culture commentary Got it. Uh, and fun little bouncy songs. Maybe I'll come around to it. All right. <laughs> Well, here is a description of your straight-to-DVD pick of the week. Are you ready? Oh, yeah. See if you can come up with a name for this. An infected T-Rex escapes from a science lab in downtown LA, destroying everything in its path. Give me a title. Oh, my God. Velocivirus? Oh, that's good. (laughs) The actual title is Ebola Rex. (laughs) Because terror is contagious. Ooh. Good times. All right. <laughs> Let's keep rolling here. Let's spend a few minutes talking about Joe Wright, who directed one of my favorite films of the aughts, Atonement. Oh. Oh. What is that, oh? This, this movie. Oh. The relation between <laughs> the two is. was by like, oh, interesting. Oh, wait. <laughs> Interesting. Let's spend a few minutes talking about the woman in the window. How do you like your new house? I miss the old one, but we had to leave Boston. Are those your people? Family, yes. Are they home? No, they don't live here. We're separated. How old is she? She's eight. How old are you? I'm going to be 16 in six months. Five months. What do you do? Uh, I'm a psychologist. I work with kids. Really? Really. That's interesting. Why is that interesting? I mean, it's more interesting than like working at Taco Bell. <laughs> why would kids need a psychologist? You really don't know why a kid would need a psychologist? No, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they do, but I, I mean, like, why? Like, why do the kids who see you need a psychologist? All sorts of reasons. Like school shootings or torturing someone? No, it doesn't have to be that dramatic. Some of them are depressed. Some suffer from anxiety. Some of them are just having a hard time adjusting to a new place. Hmm. Sweet kid. So, the woman <laughs> in the window. Amy yeah. Adams stars in Joe Wright's film about a young woman. She is, as you heard, a child psychologist, but she's suffering from agoraphobia and has mm-hmm. not really left her brownstone. Beautiful house. Gorgeous. So, and then, of course, there's this family that moves in across the street, mm-hmm. and then she thinks she sees the wife get killed with yeah. window style. Yeah. So... Juan, this film was originally set to be released in 2019, but was delayed to May of 2020 due to poor test screening, so it had a little bit of re-editing done. And Mm. of course, 
ran into the pandemic face first. And the rights were then sold to Netflix. I'm assuming maybe Fox was just like, you know what? We don't got a good vibe on this thing. Let's just mm. sell, see if Netflix wants to buy it. And sure enough, now we are here. So I had mentioned just kind of in passing how I, though I enjoyed it in the Heights, I think it sometimes it was a bit messy just because of all the different things it's trying to juggle in the air at the same time. Now, this film is a different kind of a mess. I mean, it's a big old pull up your your uh, your your rain galoshes and really get in the mud and and just splash around because this thing is in some ways a disaster and in other ways a smashing success. Where do you come down first on your thoughts and then see if you can figure out why I would say something like that? So here here's the thing. I like this movie. <laughs> you do. <laughs> I do really do. I enjoyed it very much. And then I went on Letterboxd and I was like, oh, so it's just me and my cousin who like it and everybody else thinks it's garbage. I fully understand there there is one scene in particular that I was like, I mean, I guess sequence, you'd call it, not even a scene where I was just like, all right, this is a little stupid right now. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, I enjoyed it. I really did. <laughs> Listen, it's it digs so deep into its contrivances and its dodges at times where <laughs> you feel it you feel very manipulated a little bit, right? Yeah. And but I think that's the point. And I was about halfway mm-hmm. through when I realized what was happening in this movie. Yeah. So I love Italian horror films. Okay. Particularly the Giallo films. Are you familiar with Italian Giallo films? I am not. So the term, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing it, but it's Italian for yellow. And it was a, adapted by this genre of Italian thrillers that were kind of similar to these paperback, you know, kind of novels you'd get. And they always had yellow covers. So that's where they got the name from. Okay. But they're always these kind of, Crazy colors, schlocky, violent, Uh with these crazy twist endings that really kind of feel dumb sometimes, (laughs) but with these kind of outlandish performances and hyper-violence at times. Mm. And I think that's what Wright is doing. He is not making a Hitchcock film. He is not making a De Palma film. He is making a modern Jalo film. That's exactly what he's doing. And it works. It's exact. If you know that template and you appreciate yeah. those films, that is exactly what this film is. So if you're able to watch it through that prism, mm-hmm. then I think you're going to have a blast with this movie. It but sounds if like not, I should be watching those movies. Yeah. If you want something more <laughs> traditional, yeah. uh, a mystery thriller that maybe doesn't have quite as preposterous an ending um, at times, <laughs> but. Still, I think this thing really works for what Wright's trying to do. At least I think it is a smashing success. I dug it. I did. I watched this on a rainy Sunday afternoon. It was exactly what I needed in that moment. I am so glad to hear that. When this thing first cranks up, I'm thinking like, so is Rare Window in the public domain at this point? Like how many times can this movie be remade? Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, they even give Gary Oldman white hair, like Raymond Burr's character in Rear Window. Yeah. But again, it's not what's happening. I mean, granted, the reveal I felt was groan-inducing, 
I don't know, did you have as much of an issue with it as I did? But again, the Jallos are kind of like that, where the bad guy is, if there is a bad guy, like sometimes a person's just crazy, right? Mm -hmm. Is some either minor character that hasn't really shown up or is just diametrically different than what they were previously type of a thing. I Yeah, I didn't mind it. I I think by that point, I was just sort of like, I don't know what's going to happen at all. Hit me with anything. Mm-hmm. So I guess it did its job. Yeah, I'd say that's definitely what happened. <laughs> Part of me wants to see this as a stage play. I really oh. feel it would work as a play. It would. It totally would. I'd watch yeah. that. So what do you think? Is Amy Adams finally going to get her Oscar nomination? I don't. I don't think so. But that's because I don't think that's what this film's about. No, no, I don't think so. Her win, that, I should say. Her win. She already got the yeah, nominations. She. I don't believe she's going to get her win for this, and that made me sad because she had to share scenes with two people who have won in this movie, and it just made me think even more about how she is still wanting for it. Mm. Good times. Yeah. So you didn't feel like it was, I can see part of the criticism would be where it it tries to pay too much homage to its predecessors, right? Like Mm -hmm. Gary Oldman having the white hair or the, I mean, there's a lot of that stuff in here. It didn't, because that seems to be one of the big critiques I've seen is it's weighed down by that. And then the story itself is kind of a muddled mess, but not for you. I don't think it's that muddled. I, I think... I, I like the modern version of the similar story to Rear Window. I mean, it's very different, but I like not understanding what's going on with her. I like how unreliable she is as a narrator. I, I'm with her where I also don't understand what's going on. I also don't know why the police are yelling at her the way that they constantly do in this movie. But yeah, I I don't think it's too terribly messy but i can't imagine paying to go see this in a theater i think i'd be really mad about that but just like sunday afternoon on my couch perfect yeah no i think that's a that's a great way to uh, tee it up for your own viewing experience yeah and uh just like you'd said too about her being an unreliable narrator i think that Wright does a good job of keeping us kind of off balance mm-hmm. as a viewer as well we're never quite sure what's reality and what's not though i think Again, maybe a slight limitation that sometimes it's a little obvious what isn't what isn't what is, but still. Yeah. Um, it may fumble a little bit here and there. But overall, Wright's attempt, as I said, to make a modern day giallo really worked for me. I end up giving the woman in the window a B. What about you? Yeah, I give it a B as well. I just know what you're in for. Exactly. Set your expectations. Big old qualifier on this one. Big neon sign. Yes. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> there you are. If you had a chance to see The Woman in the Window currently streaming on Netflix, go ahead and shoot us an email at feedback at com. I'll be sure to forward everything to the Lady Wan for review <laughs> and response. Yeah. Let's close out the show then. I got to tell you, with this final segment, when I initially had the idea, I'm like, oh, that's a good idea, but yeah. I'm not going to be able to. That's really hard. <laughs> I'm like, how am I going to come up with something? And then 10 minutes later, I had all five. Yeah. They came, yeah. It just rushed right at me. <laughs> so we're going to share with you what our five favorite films that we think would be improved by becoming musicals. Boy, here we go again. 
Come on, I haven't got much left. Just give me a few days to heal, okay? Then we'll start again on the left Feed hand and... me. I beg your pardon? Feed me. Tui, you talked. You, you opened your trap. You, you sing and you sing. Feed me, Crabhorn. Feed me now. Uh, I can't. I'm starving. Look, maybe I can squeeze a little more out of this one. More, 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 more. There isn't any more. What do you want me to do, slip my wrists? <sighs> oh, boy. Look, I got an idea. I'm going to go down to Schmendrick's and pick you up some nice chopped sirloin. Must be blood. Tui, that's disgusting. Must be fresh. I don't want to hear this. Feed me. Does it have to be human? Feed me. Does it have to be mine? Feed me. Where am I supposed to get it? Feed me, Seymour. Feed me all night long. <laughs> That's right, boy. You can do it. That's right, folks. A Little Shop of Horror started off as a horror film featuring a very, 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 very young Jack Nicholson. <laughs> but uh, adapted into a musical featuring Rick Moranis. And, of course, you heard there Levi Stubbs. So uh, also Ellen Green, Vincent Gardenia. I think one of his last roles, uh, Steve Martin, has a wonderful turn in that film as well. John Candy, <laughs> Bill Murray shows up. I love Frank Oz's Little Shop of Horrors. Though I've never seen it. I've seen the ending of the director's cut, yeah. like what the original ending was. But I've never seen it as a cohesive piece. I feel like I need to go watch this again because I probably haven't seen this since I was 12. Yeah. I probably missed a lot. <laughs> I haven't seen it in a long time either. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I admit, but I, I did get the soundtrack. Well, I, I took it out of the library about four or five years ago. <laughs> and it still works, man. Those songs yeah. are catchy as all hell. Yeah. So, all right. Let's go ahead then. I will go first. We'll give you the final number one since you are our mm. guest. You get the ultimate number one. Okay. So my number five then. <laughs> just part of me just would love to have seen this. I think it's too late now. Or maybe just recast. Yeah. But Dirty Harry with Clint Eastwood. Oh. <laughs> okay. Prime fascist propaganda from the 70s, yeah. right? Yeah. But the key is it's set in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. So you have that gorgeous backdrop with these big dance numbers and then Clint Eastwood belting out songs about, you know, punks feeling lucky, twirling his his magnum. <laughs> uh, I can just I can see it all in my eye. Maybe we we'll go through a few partners just in this one film instead of we doing mm. like one per movie. Yeah, I just think um, there's a. It's just a, it's a, it's a garden. Just it's rife with possibilities yeah. for a Dirty Harry musical. What an idea! Ooh, I love that. I love there that. That's that's a good one. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna start slow here by cheating a little bit uh, because they did turn it into a musical, but not a musical film. Hmm. It's Legally Blonde. It was so improved by adding songs to it. What I get it? those songs stuck in my head regularly. I don't it's... think I've seen the original film, let alone the musical. So. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Fix both of those. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's great. It's so fun and pink and poppy. And uh, yeah, so that, my first one's kind of cheating, but I don't care. That is a... Big cheat. I mean, for, <laughs> it's a layup because you already know. Yeah, I know. Let me start slow. 
<sighs> All right. Do you feel lucky? <laughs> uh, my number four then is going to be Quentin Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs. I went back and forth with a bunch of his films, but in the end, okay. I think Reservoir Dogs is the best one to do it. Yeah. You have such a wide variety of characters. You may not think so because they're all dressed the same, yeah. but I think you have Chris Penn, Lawrence Tierney. You got you know Steve Buscemi, who I've been told to look at a husky Steve Buscemi, which is not <laughs> something I appreciate. Um, you know, you have Tim Roth, just legendary uh, mm. a film, Tarantino's first movie. And just the, you know, I can see the, imagine Michael Madsen scene when he's interrogating the cop. But instead of just playing the music and dancing, he is now singing as well. <laughs> this can work. This can definitely work. Then you have the, <laughs> there's a scene with, with Harvey Keitel and Tim Roth driving to the uh, meetup with Roth bleeding out in the background and, and Keitel <laughs> singing him, singing to him, trying to calm him down, you know? Oh, so mm. many wonderful little moments <laughs> just poignantly capped with shocking violence at times. Yeah. Just really, it'd be cutting edge stuff. So Reservoir it Dogs would be. would be a wonderful little musical. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to hear what film Twitter would have to say about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like it. Okay. Uh, my, num- my number four for a movie improved by becoming a musical is the devil's advocate Ooh, like pacino as the devil mm-hmm. singing and dancing like he's almost there anyway in this movie no that's good <laughs> no that's very good i like that a lot i would definitely yeah. pay to watch that yeah i mean i don't like that film but i would i would like to see that i i think it would be i don't think anybody would be mad at the idea of turning that into a musical. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. <laughs> so then my number three is one of my favorite horror films, depending on what day of the week, when you ask mm-hmm. me, it would be my favorite horror film. John Carpenter's best film. Kurt Russell and a bunch of ragtag guys up in the Arctic or in the Antarctic. I'm blanking on which one it is now. Unclear. Desperately trying to figure out which among them is an imposter alien slowly trying to kill them all. And you mean you have the scene when they're all tied up on the couch with the flame, he's got the flamethrower and doing the blood test and <laughs> singing and dancing around that. You even are going to get a scene with the monster sings a song explaining how they're just trying to survive and how upset that they're dealing with all of the hate. Right? Because mm-hmm. all they're trying to do is carve out their own little life path. Yeah. Maybe, you know, conquer the planet. But still. Yeah. I would just, so many great little moments, so many characters. Wolford Brimley singing a song about being alone when he's uh, locked up in the cabin because they, th- they suspect that he's been taken over. Mm-hmm. You see that solemn thing, and then he sings a song about how nobody believes him and what's he going to do to escape. And then you look up and you cut to the noose and you do that slow dissolve as he holds that long note about being oh. the last man in the room or something. I don't know. Lots of possibilities for Beautiful. the thing, the musical. Yeah. I'm into it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my number three choice is pretty easy as a pick. It was actually the first one I thought of. Um, it's my best friend's wedding because that movie Ooh. sucks 
90% of the time, the only time it's good is when they're singing. Right. So we already know that it is an improvement. So just do it. Just do the whole thing as a musical. Why not? There's a wedding. that It's perfect. That's a great pick. And I would, and it, this is not one, and I just thought of it now because you brought this up. Though now I'm nervous maybe it may be on yours, um, but maybe not. Wedding Crashers would be a great musical as well. It would. Yes, that would be good. Ooh, that would be really fun. Okay, yeah. I like that. <laughs> That'd be a good one. That's not my yeah. number two, though. No. Though maybe it should be. But number two, no. though, is another Clint Eastwood film. Clint does double duty here. This time, it's the good, the bad, and the ugly. Oh. oh. On the pursuit for the buried treasure of gold. With the back, See, the key, though... One is the backdrop of the Civil War. See, okay. that's where we get a lot of our turmoil and our, path, our, our pathos from, is mm. when they encounter those those soldiers in the battle and they try they got to work their way through to get to the mm. other side to get to the to get to the gold and Eli Wallach, Lee Van Cleef, and Eastwood all having their own moments to shine with you know and then. Maybe they'll have a there'll be a, a scene of the three of them together talking about the, you know the ecstasy of gold, which of course is one of the songs from the soundtrack. Either way, <laughs> it just I just love the idea of a western musical. Yeah. And then you have these heavy hitters in this absolutely classic western with the backdrop of the Civil War. It yeah. just it's full of possibility. It sounds like it would be an epic. Easily. Hmm. Well, wait till we get to my number one. You want to talk about an epic. Okay. So go ahead. My number two is probably an unusual choice, probably a very niche audience, but let's be honest, it was when it came out in the first place. It saved exclamation point. Ooh. They could lean into the contemporary Christian vibe, and that could easily be a musical, and we can keep Mandy Moore in it. That is a great pick because what you've done smartly is include a star who can actually sing. See, I don't know what's going on with Clint Eastwood and Kurt Russell (laughs) and Harvey Keitel, right? So you're in a much better position than I am. So that is, is, I haven't seen that movie in a long time. That's a, that's a great pick. Yeah. I feel like that, if I see that that has been turned into a musical at some high school, I would believe it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is a million dollar idea. You shouldn't have mentioned it. You should run with it. (laughs) Yeah, and you gotta have like the kid in the wheelchair as like part of it too. Like, yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a whole wheelchair dance ensemble. Give me weird glee flashbacks though. Yeah, yeah. That was like, why not? With fewer pedophiles. <laughs> not none, but fewer. No, let's go. <laughs> no, we'll go with none. We'll go with none. Let's get it down to zero. All right. Is there a more cursed show in the history of television? I don't know of one. No. Oh, God. All right. My number one then is I did some research. And from as far as I know, this legendary director never made a musical, which seems like a shame to me. But I'm going to go with, and I had a lot of his films to choose from. But in the end, I think the fact that it's an adaptation of Shakespeare is what pushed me over the top. And I mm-hmm. could go with King Lear and Ron, but in the end, I went with Macbeth and Throne of Blood. Kurosawa, his stunning film, in my opinion, the best Shakespeare adaptation of all time, 
Uh, Mifune plays Macbeth, and it is just an epic, epic film filled with grandeur. It's got everything you need, and it's set in in you know uh, it's it's set in this in the warlord samurai times there in Japan. And I just, it's a gorgeous film. And now the only thing it's missing really is music accompaniment. And now we're going to have it in this adaptation of, Kershaw's adaptation of Macbeth. Throne of Blood, the musical. Mifune belting out the the songs. (laughs) Delivering the tunes. Doesn't get any better than Mm. Throne of Blood. What would you close it out with? What's your number one? So my number one is a bit of a weird one. I guess they're all weird, right? But... This one in particular, in my head, this is not an original music musical. This is okay. what we call a jukebox musical. Mm-hmm. I want it to be She's All That with the songs. Because you ask anybody anything about She's All That, and they know Kiss Me, and they know the Rockefeller Skank. Those what? are the only scenes from any from that movie that anybody knows. So same as My Best Friend's Wedding, let's lean into the strengths of this movie. An all-90s jukebox musical She's all that. That is great. I love that idea. So here's where you're going to be able to tell the age differences between <laughs> me and Juan. Because my honorable mentions basically are like, it's like pick any John Hughes film, but I think I'm leaning towards Breakfast Club if I had to choose I, one. I thought about that. I did. <laughs> so uh, yeah, but that was really the only other one that really popped in my head. I was trying to figure out a way there would be a way to do a James Bond musical, mm. but... I had trouble selling myself on that. I guess it's possible you could pull it off, but I don't know. Do you have any honorable <laughs> mentions? I do. I have an honorable mention from my significant other who believes the movie Howard the Duck would be vastly improved if it were a musical. The soundtrack's already there. That is an interesting idea. Hmm. Like, I don't, I don't want a Superman musical film. I don't think I want that. No. Now, would Zack Snyder's Justice League be better as a musical? Blade Runner? I mean, oh, I th- mm. the thing is, if Zack Snyder decides that Zack Snyder's Justice League would be better at a musical, they will give him $300 million to make. <laughs> so, <laughs> Though Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead with Dave Bautista singing is something I'm not against. I would be open to that. I heard it was a bit slow, so I think songs could pick it up. Maybe possibly it couldn't have made it worse right no no yeah, i mean not. snyder loves a needle drop so just have the song performed instead yeah, he's of just, just playing in the background he's just horrible at him but yes he loves a needle drop. <laughs> yeah but he loves it <laughs> i said that i think the other show a couple weeks ago or last week i'm like just just call me zach let, let me do the needle drops you don't have to call qt i i'm happy to do it he always chooses the exact wrong song or the <laughs> wrong cover version of the song. I don't understand what that's about. Oh, Good times. Poor guy. What films do you think would be improved by becoming musical? Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Next week, well, right after this show posts, you will be able to hear the latest episode of Screen Run. Now, right now, Red State is available, which is the show that I do with Ms. Wan, which is a lot of fun, working our way through the films of Kevin Smith. We're almost done, actually. No. So Red State is out now, and then Tusk will be uh, (laughs) dropping this Monday morning. 
Mm. So I mm-hmm. guess look forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> and and then uh, the lady one and I are making plans for season two as we yes. speak. Yes. So we'll see how that goes out. But on this show, when Matt returns next week, we will be discussing. Oh boy, I think we're going to do the Hitman's body, the Hitman's wife's bodyguard. <laughs> I think it's the Hitman's bodyguard's wife. No. No. No, it's the Hitman's sure? wife's bodyguard because yeah, because it's Salma Hayek who's Sam Jackson's wife, so it's her bodyguard, which is Ryan Reynolds. It's not so the Hitman's bodyguard was Ryan Reynolds. Okay. So the okay, Hitman's bodyguard's wife would be Ryan Reynolds's wife's care, his character's wife. But this oh. is the Hitman's wife's wife. Hold on, let me diagram this <laughs> sentence. Hold on. And then we'll be doing the science fiction film Prospect, which I believe is on Netflix right now, uh, featuring Pedro Pascal, who is a first-run favorite. Mm-hmm. So we'll be checking those out. And we don't have a top five yet, or final segment. We're kind of winging it at this point. We'll probably f- fill up the uh, final segment column in the next week or so. In the meantime, check us out at thefirstrun.com. YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, do a search for The First Run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually, you will find us. <laughs> Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Give us a review. It'll help other people find the show, and we'll read that on the air. Lady Juan, thank you so much for oh. joining us. Do you have anything you want to plug? Screen Run, baby. There you go. <laughs> Screen Run. What's the website? Screenrun.fun. She loves that. <laughs> and that's it, folks. Thank you so much. Again, uh, Lady One, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate you uh, stepping up this week. It means the world to me. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So we're going to go ahead and take an extended break, and we will see you all soon. Get vaccinated. The kitty cat bracelet. (laughs) (laughs) Give me the goddamn kitty cat bracelet. Trying to do is carve out their own little life path. Yeah. Maybe, you know, conquer the planet. But still. Yeah. yeah. I would just, so many great little moments. So many characters. Wolford Brimley singing a song about being alone when he's uh, oh. locked up in the cabin because they, they suspect that he's been taken over. Mm-hmm. You see that solemn thing and then he sings a song about how nobody believes him and what's he going to do to escape. And then you look up and you cut to the noose and you do that slow dissolve as he holds that long note about being the last man in the room or something. I don't know. Lots of possibilities for the thing, the musical. Yeah. I'm into it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My number three choice is pretty easy as a pick. It was actually the first one I thought of. Um, It's my best friend's wedding because that movie sucks. 90% 90% of the time, the only time it's good is when they're singing. Right. So we already know that it is an improvement. So just do it. Just do the whole thing as a musical. Why not? There's a wedding. that It's perfect. That's a great pick. And I would, and it, this is not one, and I just thought of it now because you brought this up. Though now I'm nervous maybe it may be on yours, um, but maybe not. not. Wedding Crashers would be a great musical as well. It would. Yes, that would be good. Ooh, that would be really fun. Okay, yeah. I like that. <laughs> That'd be a good one. That's not my yeah. number two, though. No. Though maybe it should be. But number two, yeah. though, is another Clint Eastwood film. Clint does double duty here. This time, it's the good, the bad, and the ugly. 
Oh, oh. On the pursuit for the buried treasure of gold. With the back, see the key though, one is the backdrop of the Civil War. See, okay. that's where we get a lot of our turmoil and our, path, our, our pathos from is mm. when they encounter those those soldiers in the battle and they try they got to work their way through to get to the mm. other side to get to the to get to the gold and Eli Wallach, Lee Van Cleef and Eastwood all having their own moments to shine with you know and then maybe they'll have a there'll be a, a scene of the three of them together talking about the, you know the ecstasy of gold which of course is one of the songs from the soundtrack either way <laughs> it just I just love the idea of a western musical. Yeah. And then you have these heavy hitters in this absolutely classic western with the backdrop of the Civil War. It's yeah. just it's full of possibility. It sounds like it would be an epic. Easily. Mm. Well, wait till we get to my number 1. You want to talk okay. about an epic. Okay. So go ahead. Okay. My number 2 is Probably an unusual choice, probably a very niche audience, but let's be honest, it was when it came out in the first place. It saved exclamation point. Ooh. They could lean into the contemporary Christian vibe, and that could easily be a musical, and we can keep Mandy Moore in it. That is a great pick because what you've done smartly is include a star who can actually sing. See, I don't know what's going on with Clint Eastwood and Kurt Russell and (laughs) Harvey Keitel, right? So you're in a much better position than I am. So that is that is I haven't seen that movie in a long time. That's a that's a great pick. Yeah, I feel like that. If I see that that has been turned into a musical at some high school, I would believe it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. This is a million dollar idea. You shouldn't have mentioned it. You should run with (laughs) it. Yeah, and you gotta have like the kid in the wheelchair as like part of it too. Like, yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like a whole wheelchair dance ensemble. Give me weird glee flashbacks though. Yeah, yeah. But with like, why not? With fewer pedophiles. <laughs> not none, but fewer. No, let's go. <laughs> no, we'll go with none. We'll go with none. Let's get it down to zero. All right. Is there a more cursed show in the history of television? I don't know of one. No. Oh, God. God. All right. My number one then is I did some research. And from as far as I know, this legendary director never made a musical, which seems like a shame to me. But I'm going to go with, and I had a lot of his films to choose from. But in the end, I think the fact that it's an adaptation of Shakespeare is what pushed me over the top. And I could go with King Lear and Ron, but in the end, I went with Macbeth and Throne of Blood. Kurosawa, his stunning film, in my opinion, the best Shakespeare adaptation of all time. Uh, Mifune plays Macbeth, and it is just an epic, epic film filled with grandeur. It's got everything you need and it's set in in you know uh, it's it's set in this in the warlord samurai times there in Japan, and I just it's a gorgeous film. And now the only thing it's missing really is music accompaniment, and mm-hmm. now we're gonna have it yeah. in this adaptation of Kurosawa's adaptation of Macbeth, Throne of Blood, the musical, Mifune belting out the ta- the songs, <laughs> delivering the tunes, doesn't get any better than mm-hmm. Throne of Blood. What would you close it out with? What's your number one? So my number one 
is a bit of a weird one. I guess they're all weird, right? But this one in particular, in my head, this is not an original music musical. This is okay. what we call a jukebox musical. Mm-hmm. I want it to be She's All That with the songs. Because you ask anybody anything about She's All That, and they know Kiss Me, and they know the Rockefeller Skank. Those what? are the only scenes from any from that movie that anybody knows. So same as my best friend's wedding. Let's lean into the strengths of this movie. An all 90s jukebox musical, She's All That. That is great. I love that idea. So here's where you're going to be able to tell the age differences between <laughs> me and Juan. Because my honorable mentions basically are like, it's like pick any John Hughes film, but I think I'm leaning towards Breakfast Club if I had to choose I, one. I thought about that. I did. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, but that was really the only other one that really popped in my head. I was trying to figure out if a way there would be a way to do a James Bond musical, mm. but I had trouble selling myself on that. I guess it's possible you could pull it off, but I don't know. Do you have any honorable <laughs> mentions? I do. I have an honorable mention from my significant other who believes the movie Howard the Duck would be vastly improved if it were a musical. The soundtrack's already there. That is an interesting idea. Hmm. Like I don't, I don't want a Superman musical film. I don't think I want that. No. Now would Zack Snyder's Justice League be better as a musical? Blade Runner. I mean, oh, I th- mm-hmm. the thing is, if Zack Snyder decides that Zack Snyder's Justice League would be better at a musical, they will give him three hundred million dollars to make. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> though. Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead with Dave Bautista singing is something I'm not against. I would be open to that. I heard it was a bit slow, so I think songs could pick it up. Maybe. Possibly. It couldn't have made it worse, right? No. No, I mean, Snyder loves a needle drop, so just have the song performed instead of just just, playing in the background. He's just horrible at him. But yes, he loves a needle drop. (laughs) Yeah, but he loves it. (laughs) I said that I think the other show a couple weeks ago or last week. I'm like, just just call me, Zach. Let let me do the needle drops. You don't have to call QT. I, I'm happy to do it. He always chooses the exact wrong song or the <laughs> wrong cover version of the song. I don't understand what that's about. Oh, Good times. Poor guy. What films do you think would be improved by becoming musical? Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Next week, well, right after this show posts... You will be able to hear the latest episode of Screen Run. Now, right now, Red State is available, which is the show that I do with Ms. Wan, which is a lot of fun, working our way through the films of Kevin Smith. We're almost done, actually. No. So Red State is out now, and then Tusk will be uh, (laughs) dropping this Monday morning. Mm. So I guess look forward to that. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and and then uh the lady one and i are making plans for season two as we yes. speak yes so we'll see how that goes out but on this show when matt returns next week we will be discussing oh boy i think we're going to do the hitman's body the hitman's wife's bodyguard <laughs> i think it's the hitman's bodyguard's wife no 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 it's are the hitman's sure? wife's bodyguard because yeah because it's salma hayek who's sam jackson's wife so it's her bodyguard which is ryan reynolds it's not so the hitman's bodyguard was ryan reynolds 
Okay. So the okay. hitman's bodyguard's too- wife would be Ryan Reynolds' wife's character, his character's wife. But this oh. is the hitman's wife's wife. Hold on, let me diagram this sentence. <laughs> Hold on. And then we'll be doing the science fiction film Prospect, which I believe is on Netflix right now, uh, featuring Pedro Pascal, who is a first-run favorite. Ooh. So we'll be checking those out. And we don't have a top five yet, or final segment. We're kind of winging it at this point. We'll probably f- fill up the uh, final segment column in the next week or so. In the meantime, check us out at thefirstrun.com. YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, do a search for The First Run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually, you will find us. <laughs> Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Give us a review. It'll help other people find the show, and we'll read that on the air. Lady Wan, thank you so much for yeah. joining us. Do you have anything you want to plug? Screen Run, baby. There you go. <laughs> Screen Run. What's the website? Screenrun.fun. She loves that. <laughs> and that's it, folks. Thank you so much. Again, uh, Lady One, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate you uh, stepping up this week. It means the world to me. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So we're going to go ahead and take an extended break, and we will see you all soon. Get vaccinated. The kitty cat bracelet. (laughs) Give me the goddamn kitty cat bracelet.